0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob. Today we're going to be taking a look at a question found in the Word of God, Old and New Testament. Why hasn't Jesus come yet? Why with all the things we see around us, Christians being martyred and uh, abortions, all the things we see happening, such terrible things, why won't Jesus come and take care of this? We're going to find out about today. There's a reason we are left on this earth and there's a reason why we're here today. It's to win souls. Let's go to the Word of God and find out about that.
1: For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian.
0: Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. I want you to open with me to 2 Peter. Chapter three, we're gonna take a look at some scriptures there and really talk about today we are in such a day, such a closing day of the church age. Jesus will be coming soon. But when we use that word soon, guess what? It's the same word they've used throughout the New Testament all the time. And even in the Old Testament, Jesus is coming soon. And it's been 2000 years since he left the earth and is in heaven right now. And still we are saying he's coming soon. Uh, you know, actually the last days began on the day of Pente- Pentecost. And uh, that's what the prophecy of Joel said, it'll come to pass in the last days. And that's what Peter quoted. He knew it started in the, on that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. But 2000 years later, we're still saying we're in the in the last days. Well, Paul said the same thing to Timothy and talked about the last days. So if he talked about the last days in Timothy, he had to be referring to the last of the last days when he referred to actual end time events that will be happening at that day. Right now, because of all the things going on in the world right now, because of all things happening in our own country, I can't keep my book in on understanding the end times. And so we're low on them right now. But by the time this broadcast comes out, we will have many, many more of them. Uh, So say the publishers. But anyway, to let you know, my book on Understand the End Times right now is just a popular seller, and we're not even pushing it. It's just the fact that people want to know what's going on around us from a biblical point of view, not from uh, you know from New York, and not from the newspapers in Los Angeles, and not from the uh, different TV stations and their and their uh, people that uh, moderate and tell you what's going on, or at least interpret what's going on because they interpret it from their own point of view. I'm going to interpret it from the Word of God, what the Word has to say, because I can tell you that the world will not tell you there's much coming. In fact, they paint gloom and doom pictures, but not the Lord who paints a great picture and tells us he's gonna come back one day. And that's what we're gonna talk about now. And uh, there's a phrase used in these particular verses. And so I'm gonna start in verse three and here it says in second peter chapter 3 and verse 3 knowing this first knowing what first about the end times he's talking about the day we're living in now but plus the day they were living in that day he said scoffers will come in the last days that's the last of the last days we're living in there were scoffers in his day walking according to their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We hear that today. People say, well, when's the Lord ever gonna come? When's he coming? When's he coming? You know, things are just so bad. I'd have thought the Lord had come by now. Think of the number of, of abortions we've had in our country. And thank God that Roe versus Wade was overturned in our country. But between the time it started and the time that it was finally removed, as far as the law is concerned and left in the hands of the states, 60 million abortions had taken place. I mean, think of a city that large, think of a state that large, how many were killed in all that time. And there were people crying out the whole time, when is Jesus ever gonna come and settle this thing? I see pictures on the news of of Christians being beheaded in other countries. And my first thought is, Lord, you're sitting there watching this too from heaven. You know what's going on. When are you ever going to come? But the point of it is we have to look at it from the biblical perspective. What did God leave us here for? He didn't leave us here to complain and talk about when's he coming. He talked about the fact that we need to understand if the last days began on the day of Pentecost and we are in the last of the last days, 2,000 years later, we need to get around to business. What business? Winning souls. You know, just before Jesus left the earth in chapter One of Acts, he was standing there with his disciples and uh, they came to him and while he was telling them what the great commission was gonna be, they interrupted him and said, they asked him. In fact, the Greeks, interesting, they kept on asking, kept on asking, kept on one after another. Are you gonna restore the kingdom at this time? They thought now was the time for the kingdom. According to Daniel, 70 weeks, they should be very close to it. And they said, now are you gonna restore the kingdom at this time? And they kept pressing. He said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons, which are in my father's hands. He said, this thing is out of my hands. It's only in the father's hands. And you're asking me? He said, I don't know exactly when the kingdom's gonna come. Basically we're told in the word of God, in the book of Matthew, Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour of his second coming, much less the rapture. And so if he doesn't know, then we don't need to keep pressing him. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Because the father is going to let Jesus know, first of all, when it's time for the rapture, he'll tell him. In the meantime, Jesus doesn't know exactly when it's going to be. So we as Christians are waiting and we should be waiting patiently. But he went on to say, don't ask these questions because these issues in time issues are in the father's hands, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Understand something. We haven't been sitting here to quibble about end times. When is Jesus coming? We have been left here for one major reason, to make souls, and get souls saved, and next of all, to make disciples out of all the nations. The two parts to the Great Commission. What's been given to us is the Great Commission, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can accomplish it. And God has simply said, that's my number one goal. You know, we we talk about who the president's gonna be. I don't know, you know, and people talk about another race. When's this gonna happen? Who's gonna be elected this? I don't know that, that far in advance what's gonna happen. But the point of it is, I have people I'm for, and I have reasons why, you know of why I'm for them. I like people that stand for biblical values, whether they're a Christian or not, at least they stand for moral values, which are biblical uh, issues, and that's who I'm for. Whether they're born again or not, I wish they were. In fact, we're supposed to pray for kings, all that have authority over us, that number one, they would be saved, and number two, come to the full knowledge of the truth. That is found in Timothy, but also is what our prayer should be for leaders of our nation, so that they would get saved and then become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, angels don't rejoice over Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so that gets put in the White House. They don't rejoice over whether or not it's this person, that person. That's not what makes them rejoice. They rejoice over eternal things. Whoever's in office will be in there for so long and then no, no longer. So they don't rejoice over temporary things. They rejoice over eternal things. They rejoice over every sinner who repents. Let's go on with these verses of scripture. Verse eight says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises that some count slackness, but is long suffering, very, very patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This brings us back to God's perspective on what our call is, that we should be not willing that anyone should perish and go out and witness to everybody that we know and everybody that we see, and that God's will is that everyone come to repentance. That should be what our will should be too. I know not everybody's gonna come to repent, The Bible says more will end up going to hell than heaven, but my job is to give the gospel to them to where everyone can have a chance to hear the gospel and receive it. What this verse is saying is we look at the fact that Jesus has been gone from the earth for 2,000 years. Think about this. If one day in heaven is 1,000 years on earth, when did Jesus in heaven sit down at the right hand of the Father? Two days ago. So we look at the difference in time between heaven and earth. And in heaven, things are a whole lot different. And Jesus hasn't been there very long. In fact, when the Father finally tells him to stand up and, and go get the church at the rapture of the church, who knows? It might be 2.1 day. You know, it's just, it's just barely past two days in heaven that Jesus has been there. I decided one day just to take this and and, and calculate it out. So I took the calculator on my iPhone, which I don't use too often, and just took it. And what I did was is I decided if a thousand years on earth is one hour in heaven, I just decided I would you know, find out what one hour in heaven is. Well, one hour in heaven is 41 years on earth. See, because 24 hours in heaven is a thousand years, I divided a thousand by 24 and came up with one hour in heaven is 41 years on earth. I further subdivided it, divided that by four, and 15 minutes in heaven equals 10 years on earth. Well, I figured that out. Listen to this. My dad died in 1996. My mom died in 2018. And there was, you know, a number of years between those two events, 22 years between the time he died and uh, 20, you know, until the time that my mom died. And so 22 years between those two deaths. But in heaven, that was around 30 minutes. In other words, my dad had been in heaven for 30 minutes. My mom suddenly appeared standing right beside him. That's what heaven's like. You know this should give you great comfort as far as your relatives dying and stuff. You say, "Well, I've been away from them for so long." Not in their eyes. When they see that, like, oh, we would just been here a few minutes, and they'll be seeing everything from God's viewpoint in heaven. So think of that song. You know, uh, you know, when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We think, "Oh wow, ten thousand years. That's ten days in heaven." You know. That's wonderful. That's just a short period of time. So again, we have to come back to it. We need to be looking at time like God does, like Jesus does, like heaven does rather than us and realize God operates by a whole different standard. And he's simply telling us while he's up there in time just, you know, is, is moving so much, uh, you know, slower than what we have down here. At least a thousand years down here is just a day in heaven. What he's simply saying there is just think about this. I want you to develop in patience. Just get busy doing what I've asked you to and Jesus will come at the right time. So so why doesn't God do something about the evil now? This is one of the main things we'll be getting into in the second half of this broadcast. Again, I mentioned the 60 million abortions in our country. We see riots, we see destructions, murders are on the increase, martyrs. There's people around the world being martyred for the kingdom of God, for the, giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And you know what? This, this thing we're having here, where he said people today in the world, what, what Peter was saying wasn't at that day, especially we'll be saying, out of their own lusts and now their own uh, misperceptions be saying, well, why did the Lord come? But you know what? Even Christians are saying that people that love the Lord, people that, you know, may be born again, but don't think a thing about the kingdom of God, don't even want to live for Jesus are all saying, ah, we've heard this for centuries. We've heard this for years. He's coming back. He's coming back. But some 2000 years ago, he left and they were saying "Then he's going to come back. Well, you're looking at it from earth's time, not from heaven's time. And so listen, this, even the martyrs under the altar in heaven are saying, when Lord, We think of human trafficking today. This thing is becoming so huge around the world of innocent children being taken in for sex trafficking. What a terrible thing when is God ever going to settle that? Every day, in essence of what I'm telling you is I know human trafficking is terrible. I know martyrs are terrible. I know that riots and destructions and murders are terrible. I know that 60 million abortions in our own country alone, that's not counting the entire world, but 60 million since the time that it's passed. And since the time it's been uh, turned back over to the States by the Supreme Court, 60 million. We think about that. And we think, Lord, when are you ever going to come? And God says, I'm not looking. Looking at the earth right now because of sin, because of evil. I will settle that one day. Right now, every day is one more day for someone to be saved. And that's what God is saying. The reason why I wait another day, someone could be saved. And I realize all these sins are going on. Listen, 60 million abortions. Our first thought is those children never got a chance to live down here. Oh, but they had a chance to live up there. Because you know what? We might be that we might destroy a body, but we can't destroy the person. That child went to heaven, it's being raised by God. And one day the parents will get to see that child. And a whole lot of making up will go on at that time. Every day is one more day on this earth for one more person to be saved. Saved, and this is why God leaves us here, and that's why Jesus hasn't come today, and even during the tribulation, He's going to come at the very last minute. We'll talk about this in the second half of this broadcast. He's going to wait till the very last minute of the last day before the earth is taken over by Satan, so that. Again, one more person can find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then he's going to give the world 24 hours to receive Jesus. He's going to do it in a very special way. And we'll talk about that when we come back. In the meantime, again, the book, they're going to talk to you about the book, how that you can have a copy of it for yourself. And I'll see you right after halftime.
1: Understanding the end times, one of the most incredible and fascinating doctrines in the word of God will bring us comfort for the days in which we live. The Bible says we are to encourage and exhort one another with the knowledge of Jesus returning for his saints. In Understanding the End Times, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a thorough and exciting study to give you more revelation of these times in which we live. Topics include the seven dispensations, the dispensation of the mystery, the rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, Daniel's 70 weeks, the temple discourse, the tribulation, The Second Coming, The Millennial Reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. To order Understanding the End Times, visit bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives.
0: We began talking in 2 Peter chapter 3, and I went to verse four, and I wanna point this out. It says there's gonna come scoffers in the last day. These may be Christians. It may be those that know the Lord, but they're so tired of hearing about the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, and He hasn't come. And here's what they're gonna say. Where's the promise of His coming? It's like they really know He is coming, but where is that promise? For since the fathers fell asleep, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, coming up to the New Testament of Paul and Peter and John, the apostles, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. The earth is still here. The sun still rises. The sun still sets. There are people that are being born, people that are dying. Everything, you know, the earth keeps up, Waves come in, waves go out, time goes on. And he points out, Peter points out in chat and verse eight, but beloved, don't forget this one thing. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That means the coming of Jesus. He says, as some count slackness, but His long suffering toward us, why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus isn't gonna come because we as the church are backed into a corner. He's gonna come because the time is right and to shift into the last phases, but he's looking at soul winning, and he's going to give the world seven more years at that time to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this ought to answer the question, are people saved because God chooses them for salvation? No, God wants everybody to be saved. Jesus came to die for the sins of the entire world, and anyone who wills can come. Anyone who receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it's up to us to tell them about Jesus. We have been left here as ambassadors of heaven. Jesus was the ambassador. Now we stand in his place. And today we are to tell people about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But again, what they're saying is in these verses of scripture is what they're being said in the book of Revelation, where the martyrs under the altar saying, when Lord are you going to come? It just seems like you're not coming. And every day again, he waits is one more day for one more person to be saved. And so. Again, what we do is we're supposed to be out getting people saved. Our church is getting people saved in the services. They they not only preach a song, a sermon about living for Jesus and walking with the Lord and discipleship, but they also weave sermons in there also at the same time about how to get saved at the end, give an invitation for people that are in church to be saved. The bulk of people should be saved in the world. That's why Jesus Christ hasn't come yet because we're going into all the world to preach the gospel. But the world also begins in your church and people Are coming in there. It's fine to bring people to church to get saved, but the bulk of people, some 98% more, are saved out in the world. Jesus didn't say go into all the churches and preach the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the gospel should be preached in church. First Corinthians chapter 14 tells us people get saved in church. And Jesus even said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. God loves a full house. Jesus loves a full house of people. Why? Because some of them that come in will be sinners and we can get them saved. So people do get saved in church. We should be supporting our church through tithes and offerings into the church so we can get more people saved, not only here, but support missionaries, support evangelists, support workers in different parts of the world, in our own city, in our own state, our own country, so that people can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, those of you who are supporting this broadcast, because what we're taking to the nations is the word of God, because the, listen, the Great Commission has two parts to it. Number one, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be damned. But the other part is going to all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. That's my position. That's me. I'm a pastor teacher. And so teaching them that again, to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, after that, teaching them to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them of all manner of things that I have taught you, he said, so we're to call them to become disciples. Jesus said in John chapter eight, to those who just believed on him, here's the second part of the Great Commission, he said, now for those who just believed in me, he said, now, he said, study my word, take my word, grow in my word now, Take the word of God and you'll become disciples. Studying the word of God makes you become a disciple. In other words, when you're saved, you become a Christian. When you become a disciple, you become a stable. Christian. You can now follow the Lord and be a great example for everyone else. Now, when I quote those verses of scripture, what it says is the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I'm simply saying here again, you need to be supporting the gospel and thank you for supporting my broadcast. For those of you who are supporting the broadcast, thank you. For those of you who want to, go to my website. For those of you who are thinking about it, go to my website and you'll find a place there where you can become a partner with so many great people. And my website is bobyandian.com and you'll be blessed by becoming a partner with me. And I'll be blessed because you've joined me in spreading the word of God. Armageddon is going to happen. And at the very last possible moment, Joel tells us that the Lord is gonna come back. And here's what happens. During the time of the tribulation, we're gonna be taken out of here and the tribulation will begin. In fact, we are told in the book of 2 Thessalonians that even Antichrist, which is going to mark the beginning of the tribulation, Antichrist can't even show himself until the church is removed. I personally believe we may actually see the kingdom of Antichrist being set up, one world government, all these things, but it cannot begin until we're taken out of the way because we who withhold will continue to withhold until we're taken out of the way. Antichrist can show himself. So I believe Antichrist will show himself once the kingdom is all set up for him. The worldwide government, the centralized government, and what they're calling the liberal world order right now is being established, but it's gonna become stronger and stronger in the days to come, but it can't actually truly begin until Antichrist sits on the throne and they have that one world leader there. But at the moment that the church is gone, then he can show himself. And the seven years is going to occur during that time. The first half of the tribulation is called the tribulation. The second half of the tribulation is called the great tribulation. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, it is the worst time in all world history. It's the worst time that has ever been, is, or ever will be. It's the worst battle that will ever happen. Armageddon at the end of it, the second half of the tribulation called the great tribulation will lead to this time because during the first half of the tribulation, Antichrist is showing himself as a man of peace to bring all this in the middle of the tribulation. He's gonna walk into the temple in Jerusalem and sit down at that place. The second half of the tribulation will begin because then he will show himself for who he really is, Satan's agent in this world and he's come to sit on the throne that Jesus will sit on. And as he does, he's gonna start literally unleashing his fury. And so uh, in the city of Jerusalem, they are told that th- those who abide in Jerusalem and Judah should flee to the mountains. The Lord will protect them there. And so God has plans of protection so that Antichrist can't get to them. But for three and a half years, Antichrist will be ushering the great tribulation in on the earth. The first half again, the first three and a half years of the tribulation is tribulation. The second half is the great tribulation. This again is told us in Matthew chapter 24. And so throughout the second half of the tribulation, many, many believers will be killed, but also many will be swept into the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about four sweeps of evangelism during the tribulation. Number one is the 144,000 Jews will receive Jesus as Lord and savior. As soon as the church is taken out 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes, they'll be spreading the gospel. Next of all, their converts will be spreading the gospel. So it's like it is today. The uh, 144,000, 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes received Jesus as their Messiah. And then they start spreading the news and others receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's in the first half. During the second half, God's got supernatural means of witnessing. And uh, in the second half of it, angels will spread the gospel. This hasn't happened since the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they came and helped and showed and worked with people then. in the In the New Testament, they don't. They stand back and watch, but literally angels are gonna come during in that time, this is told in the book of Revelation, and they will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then finally, also in those last three and a half years, two witnesses will come from heaven, Moses and Elijah, and they will also spread the gospel and they will have signs and wonders following them. And they will be able to cause a fire to come from heaven. They'll be able to sin and stop the rain. All these different things that Moses and Elijah did in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, it's told that they will be witnessing. Then they're gonna be killed just before the end of it. And then at the very end of it, after they've been dead for three and a half days, they'll be raised up in the streets and raised back up to life again. So the Battle of Armageddon is going to be the last thing that will happen in the tribulation. It's the great standoff between Antichrist, all the armies of the world coming against Jerusalem, and then Jesus Christ himself is gonna come back from heaven with us, the saints, the church. We'll be coming back after being in heaven for seven years. We will be in heaven going through the judgment seat of Christ, the works we have done that were wrong, the works we have done, which are called wood, hay, and stubble, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 will be burnt up, but the gold, silver, and precious stones will be left. They can't be burnt and we'll be rewarded in heaven. And then at that time, we will come back as a bride adorned for her husband. And as it says in chapter five of the book of Ephesians, we will come back and we will come back on that day without spot or without wrinkle. All the spots and wrinkles will be worked out in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. We will come back with Jesus riding on horses And we are the battle uh, army with him, but we will not fight the battle. This will be a unique battle. In every battle throughout history, the leader stays in the background and and the men go out and fight. And there's, cause there's destruction. They don't want this guy being destroyed. So he's back here in the background. And so because he's the brains of the operation, they don't want him killed. So the army's out there fighting. And so, but in this case, Jesus is going to tell us, stand back, I'm going to fight this one. And Jesus Christ personally is going to open up his mouth and the Bible says out of his mouth will come a sharp two-edged sword. This is the book of Revelation and he will destroy Antichrist and and all those armies of the world coming against uh, Jerusalem, the largest army ever assembled together in the Valley of Megiddo. And he will speak and all those uh, on that field will be killed that day. Why is he doing that? Why does he wait so long? In fact, the day before he comes back for 24 hours, the earth is covered in darkness. Antichrist's army has taken half of Jerusalem and they go to bed that night. The next morning, they wake up expecting to take the second half Jerusalem. Satan is rejoicing. Antichrist is rejoicing. We're going to conquer the world and we will be the rulers of the world. But when they get up the next morning, it's pitch black and you can't see. It is a supernatural darkness, just like the supernatural darkness that covered the earth when Jesus was on the cross. So Because of that, you can't see your hand in front of your face. No lights can shine through this darkness. It is supernatural darkness. And the only thing that will shine through supernatural darkness is supernatural light. Here's what happens. For 24 hours, the Bible calls this in the book of Joel, the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the Valley of Decision. God's gonna give the entire world, completely covered in darkness, 24 hours to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if they don't, when the end of it comes, it'll be too late. It may be too late for them, but it's not too late for you. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ? This is the eternal decision that you need to make. It'll carry you from time right on into eternity. It's opening up your heart and saying, Lord, I have messed my life up, but I wanna receive you now as the Lord and savior of my life. If you do that new minute, would you call me? Contact me at the office and tell us,
1: I accepted Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching today, and we will see you next time. You can order resources